everybody, welcome into the Irish NFL show. Friday night, a big show ahead, but we have some big news to start off this bumper show for fans across Ireland. That's right, Northwestern University are playing Nebraska at the Aviva Stadium next August, and we are delighted to hear now from Coach Fitzgerald, who's reacted to this news. Well, incredible opportunity to alert our football team. Uh, Once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to travel to Dublin uh, to, to play a, an American football game. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a unique experience, and uh, the guys uh, seem pretty excited. Um, you mentioned, although nothing to promise, that you want to turn this into a bowl trip. There's the chance to obviously do more than play a football game? Well, that's the whole thing. I, the opportunity to go experience the culture of the, of, uh, the great, uh, great country of Ireland is something that uh, I'm obviously excited about, and, and I know our guys will immerse themselves in. And we'd love to have this be like a bowl trip from a standpoint of the way that we've always done things here for our players. It's about their experience, the experience of our fans, uh, our students, uh, and all of our alums. And so uh, look forward to having just an amazing trip and an amazing time. Um, you have Irish roots. Have you been there before? you have any family there? Yeah. Anything personally you can add? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm excited to have the opportunity to go to Ireland for the first time. We have family in Ireland, and so a uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me, uh, for my dad, uh, you know, that uh, has never been to Ireland either. And so, you know, as we have had similar bowl trips uh, in the past where our, our young men and their families maybe have not spent a lot of time in the area, to now have this opportunity to go uh, over to Ireland to experience the culture of the people, uh, and everything that uh, th this type of uh, game has to offer. I couldn't be more excited for our players, our staff, and our families. Go Cats! It's just great to hear this. Fantastic news for the game here in Ireland and across the UK and Europe. Uh, and here is Antishok Michal Martin, who has given his opinion on the game that's coming up next year. Hello. As Taoiseach, or Prime Minister of Ireland, I very much look forward to welcoming Northwestern University and the University of Nebraska to Ireland next year, in 2022. This past year has been a very challenging one for us all, but in Ireland as in the United States with our vaccination program against COVID-19 advancing at pace, we are beginning to see light at the end of what has been a long and difficult tunnel. For the first time in what feels like a very long time, we can begin to look forward with hope and optimism to being able to welcome visitors safely back to our shores. We in Ireland pride ourselves on being the land of the Cade Mila Foilta, the 100,000 welcomes. I can promise that we will have a very special welcome ready for the teams and your supporters when you visit us for the 2022 US college football season opener as part of the Erlingus College Football Classic to be played on the 27th of August 2022 at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. So to President Shapiro and Chancellor Green, together with your alumni and fans, I want to tell you that the people of Ireland stand ready to welcome Coach Fitzgerald, Coach Frost and all the players and staff. It is wonderful to have such an exciting sporting event to look forward to. As a sports fan myself, 
I know how great contests like yours help lift spirits and strengthen ties between Ireland and the United States. So mark your calendars for August 2022. Come to Ireland for the game and stay to experience the best of our culture, our vibrant cities, towns and villages, our stunning scenery, our world-famous hospitality, and much, much more. So be assured that we are all looking forward to welcoming the Wildcats and the Huskers to a great celebration of sport and deep friendship between our two countries. And that was Antishock Michal Martin talking about the big college game coming to the Aviva Stadium in Dublin next August. It'll be here before you know it. Can't wait for it. We're delighted to be joined now by Brendan Meehan, who is the, the commercial director for the Erlingus US College Football Classic in Dublin. Brendan, a very warm welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Jens. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And look, Brendan, usually we ask people because the majority of our guests are from the US. We usually ask people about their Irish heritage. I mean, I'm not going to waste time there in that sense. But uh, could you maybe tell us maybe just, just a wee bit about your background before we start looking at the game and, and how you got into this? Well, I suppose I'm originally from Galway, so I'm, I'm Ireland and Galway through and through. And I've been up in Dublin for uh, 20 odd years working in various elements of um, finance and business and I've always had a, um, a love of sport and I've always you know kind of touched on working with the business for sport and um, sport for business and that kind of thing and, and um, I suppose this opportunity came around working with um, Porco Kane, Louise Thornton and, and John Anthony um, over in the US and I suppose these games in the past were always organized um, I suppose on an ad hoc basis so you know, as far as you go back and even more recently, 2012, 14, 16, there were games played in Ireland, but they were advertised, sorry, they were organised um, separately or individually. So now all of a sudden, coming up to 2020, we have a, or we had a, a proposition. We have a five game series, um, you know, so we, we can build something out now. We can build something real, something tangible, um, you know, something that really matters, not alone from a sporting perspective, but our tagline is much more than a game. So from a business, from an academic, from an educational, from a cultural, um, really looking at strengthening ties between Ireland and the US. Um, as we know, the five game series was meant to kick off in 2020. That didn't happen, unfortunately. We also cancelled this year's game in 21, but we're delighted to be back up and running for 2022. And we're really excited to have Northwestern and Nebraska coming to town. Um, I, I suppose that, that, Brendan, in terms of the um, the two teams that you've mentioned, I mean, I, I can go all the way back. I was at the game in Limerick back in 91, and I remember Holy Cross. But look, we've seen in recent years Navy, Notre Dame, Penn State, um, BC, Georgia Tech. But like in terms of Northwestern and Nebraska, this might be like the most competitive game that we've seen on these shores. How did that come about? Yeah, Colin, I think that's a really good point. Um, so a, a number of years ago, um, Porek and John Anthony met with Northwestern University um, to discuss the possibility of bringing a home game, a Northwestern home game over to Ireland. Um, you know, between the jigs and the reel, those conversations stalled, um, but they were picked back up before Christmas. And Mr. Martin Nocton from Glen Dimplex um, played a key role. He, he got on to um, a pal of his by the name of um, Mr. Pat Ryan. Um, Mr. Ryan will be very well known in Northwestern University. The field they play in is known as Ryan Field. His name is also over the basketball and the volleyball stadiums. Um, the two gentlemen got talking about how cool it would, would it be to bring Northwestern to town. And, you know, ultimately then we were able to play a role in ensuring that happened. Nebraska then, on the other hand, were meant to come this year playing against 
um, Illinois, um, it fell in in 2022 into the schedule that Northwestern were playing a home game against Nebraska. Nebraska um, were great partners of ours last year. They were very disappointed that they had to cancel the game. Um, so it was a natural um, game to bring over. And you're right, you know, from a, com- from a competitive perspective, it's one of the most competitive games that have ever been brought um, to these shores. So you have the likes of um, Northwestern, okay, you're going back as far as 2000, the last time they were the conference champions. Um, Coach Fitzgerald there now, we took over in 2016 and they really improved. You know, they've been bowl eligible, I think five times in the last five or six years. Um, they're also the national leaders or one of the national leaders in graduation, graduation athletes from their football team. They won the Big Ten West title last year. Um, unfortunately, they were beaten by Ohio State in the Big Ten championship final, but I think it was like 33-10 or 22-10 actually, I think. And they went, went on to play Auburn in the um, Citrus Bowl, I think it was in Orlando, which they won. You know, they finished the year ranked number 10 in the Associated Press poll, which is their highest since 1995. So they are absolutely flying it. Nebraska, um, Nebraska, the state of Nebraska, there is no major, um, major league professional sport. So the Huskers or Nebraska is the sport in um, the state of Nebraska. Um, they were national champions back in the 90s, three times, I think 94, 96, 97, 94, 95, 97. Um, and Coach Frost is in his third year there. Um, they have a, a, as far as I know, it's a record of um, longest sellout streaks in, in, in their home stadium. And you're looking at nearly 400. And that really gets impressive when you realize they're an 86,000 seater stadium that's been sold out for th- nearly 400 games in a row. So they're known as the Sea of Red. They will bring the color and we can't wait for, for this game. It's going to be very competitive. Brendan, you, you touched on the point that the games previously that were organised were kind of organised on an ad hoc basis where you're now looking to kind of solidify kind of a more of a long-term model. Um, at what stage you start turning your attentions to the following year and the year after in terms of looking to, I suppose, secure teams to come over, so secure the colleges to come over and participate in 2023-24? Yeah, Brian, good question. And the answer is we're already working on it. Um, we hope to announce a game for 23 later this summer, late summer, start of the football season. Um, and we hope to announce 24, maybe towards the back end of this calendar year. Um, if we're being brutally honest, we're probably late announcing this game, and that's just been because of COVID. Um, you know, the ideal run-in time is more than 15 months to organise these games, you know, to organise the, the fans to travel um, and to generate the necessary excitement about, about it. But um, so we're, we've already started working. We're talking to schools. The guys in the States are talking to schools all the time about bringing games. And as you guys know, their schedules for, you know, these, these school schedules for 23, 24, 25, 26 have already been mapped out. And to move one game from October, say, which Northwestern were meant to play in Nebraska in 22, bring it to week zero, that affects other universities. So, you know, who they're playing the following week, who they're playing the previous week, they have to get NCAA approval to move a game to week zero. So we're already well on the road to looking at um, games 23 and 24 and beyond. And, and, and just on that, you're, you're right. Like, so this is a five-game series. You know, the steering committee of the Erlingus College Football Classic, it's our goal to cement um, Dublin and Ireland as the, as the European home of American college football and forevermore amend the first game of the US college football season to be played on week zero in Dublin. That's our ultimate goal. 
Sounds great. Absolutely love it. I think it's good for not just fans in Ireland, but in, in the UK and in Europe as well. It's going to be great to see people descend upon Dublin, regardless of where you're from. Um, Brandon, I, I've seen you sp- just speaking a lot. I think, I think you're on a different podcast this week as well, talking about the great work done by partners such as Arlingus Tourism Ireland. How does that link into our, I guess, shared history with the US? It's it's very important with, with you know in terms of our ties with, with America and this game and this profile that you are bringing to the Aviva really plays into that. Yeah, it's, it's it's hugely important. And as I said at the start, our tagline is much more than a game. And it's, you know, it's the reason these, you know, we work on these games is to strengthen the ties between two countries. And um, we have very, very close relationships with the US and we need to retain them and we need to keep them and we need to grow them. And um, we are blessed to have Aer Lingus on board. And um, despite what they've gone through, they have committed to us um, and their support. Um, and then we also have, we essentially are, a PPP, a public-private partnership, and we have the support of the Department of the Taoiseach, we have the support of the the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwethuk, Sports and and Media through Minister Martin and Minister Chambers, Um, and we also have the support of the Department of Education and of Foreign Affairs and of Trade and Employment, and, you know, we're on record is saying that these games from a commercial perspective do not make sense on ticket sales alone, so without the support of the government, of the Aer Lingus, you know, the likes of Falch Ireland, Tourism Ireland, DCC, you know, Grant Thornton, Evershed Sutherland, Glen Dimplex, the Abbey Group, we wouldn't be able to deliver these. So, you know, there is a sense of Ireland coming together to host these games um, and to host the events around these games. And, you know, we, we will look to travel to the States a couple of times this autumn. And we will look to bring a trade mission to the state of Nebraska. It's been a while since Ireland visited there and um, up to the reverse fixture this year um, on the 2nd of October. And we'll also look at, at getting in a Northwestern game at some stage and, you know, kind of leveraging off the Irish connections that are in the likes of the city of Chicago and the state of Nebraska. Brendan, I, I mean, I certainly am excited about it. I've been to all the games, as I said, going back all the way to, to 91. But I'm sure there are a lot of people watching who are going to be excited about this and the possibility of seeing the, a, a competitive game. But the you know guys who will go on to play in the NFL, you know, I mean, Harrison Butker, who uh, has won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs, uh, was over a few years ago. So this is the potential for fans to see guys who will, you know, take to the field every Sunday in the NFL. For people who want to get more information or interested in knowing about how to go about getting tickets and things like that, where is the best place for them to go and get that information? So we've actually launched a brand new website at collegefootballireland.com. Um, there is hospitality up there at the moment. Um, you can buy the hospitality. You can also sign up for a, a pre-sale access for Jeller and Tickets. Jeller Tickets probably won't go on sale for this game until February time next year. The pre-sale, obviously, in advance of that. But hospitality options are up there at this moment in time. And, yeah, you're right. Like The college, the whole college football phenomenal in the states is absolutely massive you know the way they work the draft even itself is so exciting where essentially and um, you know to, to, to the layman the worst nfl team gets the first pick of the best college football player in any given season um you know the, if, if you separate out college football from the nfl in the states across all platforms viewership and um, revenues it's the second biggest sport so nfl the biggest college football the second and that's ahead of baseball or basketball so you know, these guys are um, they're college athletes, but they are essentially looking to go on to 
be professionals and play in the, play in the NFL. So that in itself is serious excitement. So collegefootballireland.com, all the details on there. Brendan, we've seen since the Aviva has been revamped in terms of how comfortable it is to go and enjoy a game of football or rugby in the stadium, with the exception of 2014 game being played in Crow Park, is the long-term plan to have the games all in the Aviva. We've seen the NFL kind of moving more towards Tottenham's ground now long-term rather than Wembley because of kind of the facilities that, that comes with the new stadium. So is it a case that all the games will be in all like you'll play in the Aviva? Yeah, we, we have um, we've excellent partners in Martin Murphy and the team in the Aviva Stadium. And the um, the plan is that all these games will be played in the Aviva Stadium. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Look, I think I'm I'm really excited. Just the last one for me, Brandon. You're saying there it's much more than the game, and it's getting you know, getting people to really visit around Ireland and even going into Northern Ireland as well and seeing the tourism. One thing that I did notice, and uh, maybe you could talk just a wee bit more about it, was the Kildare High School Showcase. So there's also a plan to not just have college football, but maybe high school football as well next August. Yeah, so we're working closely with Alan Shine and his team in, in County Kildare Chamber and also with Maynooth University, where Kildare will be the home of the high school showcase. And this is essentially where a number of high schools will come over. They'll sample Ireland, the culture um, of Ireland, um, and they will play a number of games in Kildare, um, you know, and enjoying the sights and enjoying everything that Kildare has to offer. Um, you know, tying it in with the likes of the horse racing, Kildare Village and other aspects that Kildare. So that's something we're working on. That's something we're very excited about. And I think um, the guys we're working with down in Kildare and Minute University are also very excited about too. And I think that aspect of the fans coming over, um, I, I know I was able to go to some of the, the fan events and to lead up the, some of the previous games. I mean, that's a huge part of it. And I think for, for viewers, I mean, I, even high school football, if anyone hasn't watched Friday Night Lights, check it out because high school football is equally as exciting and that will, will bring people as well. And look, Brendan, I'm sure this is going to be the first of many uh, conversations as we build up uh, to the game. And for viewers, I know that we're going to make a lot of the links that you've uh, talked about available um, on our um, website and underneath the, the broadcast. But we want to thank you for taking the time. It is certainly a, a very exciting time. I mean, having gone through COVID and, and had the disappointment that it cancelled the game, it is really exciting for us to hear about the, the plans for the future, both next year, but also, um, you know, the long term vision. So thanks to you to you for taking the time to chat to us today no problem Colin. and it is it's very exciting for american football fans but it's also very very important for ireland and the tourism and the hospitality industries you know that we've been they've been crucified over the last 15 16 months we expect conservatively 18,000 americans to travel for the game in 22 that's discounted on the back of any any kind of COVID effect we expect 5,000 to come from europe you guys will know how big american football is especially in the uk and in germany and, um, you know, you've over 54,000 registered players in both those countries. So we want people coming back to Ireland. You know, we, we Grant Thorns and Falls Ireland estimate this game to be worth in around 63 million to the Irish economy. So, you know, we, we believe it'll be the biggest inbound tourism event in 2022. And we want to keep it going. It's very important. The link for sign up, folks, is below. You can check it out as well, please, if you're on Twitter. I'm going to put it on Facebook as well. Brandon, thanks very much for your time. Thanks very much, guys. Love you to talk. Okay, our next guest on the Irish NFL show, we've been so fortunate to have a number of different players on in the offseason, and this week is no different. We're joined by Carolina Panthers tight end, uh, Colin Thompson. Colin, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. It's good to have you on, Colin. And it's great. I watched you a few a few weeks ago on Jeff Reinbold's show, so I'm sure this is, this is going to be good fun. Uh, we ask everybody this, Colin. First off, Irish NFL show. Have you any Irish heritage yourself? I do. 
I do. So my mom's maiden name is Leahy. Um, and my dad's side, Thompson's actually have um, some heritage as well. So I got to figure out where we're from. Um, I, I, we know a lot about the Italian side of the family and where they're from. And they're from uh, like the southern part of Italy. Um, but I, I want to visit, that's for sure. And that's, that's a plan uh, to play some golf and drink some beer and, uh, you know, have a good time. Well, you have uh, you've three tour guides uh, here, uh, Colin, and uh, happy to uh, definitely drink uh, drink the beer. I don't know how how good any of us are at golf, but we'll happily go out and uh, give give it a shot. Um, now, look, you you yourself, you've overcome kind of considerable adversity to to play in the the NFL. Can you talk to us, I suppose, a little bit about that kind of roller coaster ride and and like what kept you motivated along the way? I just think having clear goals along the way of exactly of what I wanted to do. Um, and really that the end result or the results that were coming really had nothing to do with the end result. Um, whether I was getting cut or whether I all the way back to beginning of my real, real football career, when I was transferred from high school, high school into college and I broke my right foot. And then six months later, I broke it again. And then six months later, I broke my left foot. So uh, then I was relieved of my scholarship at the University of Florida, and they said, "Hey, we'll pay for your school, but you shouldn't play football anymore. You should, you know, you you should stay healthy, and um, your career is over. And you know, we want you to be able to run around and walk with your kids, and all these things that I was not ready for as a 19, 20 year old boy. But the goal was always consistent, and that was to play in the NFL. Um, and there's adversity for sure. I played in minor leagues. I played, uh, when I was with the Giants, I had emergency appendectomy and, and got cut 48 hours later after I was told I'm going to be there for, and not, I wasn't going to get cut. So uh, there's definitely adversity at all different corners, right? And then uh, just balancing relationships and the struggle of, you know, being away from home or being away from your fiance that we're, we're getting married this summer. We've been long distance now for, for seven years because of what I do. So um, it, it's a grind for sure. But I, I've been fortunate to be able to play this game and to be able to meet so many great people. It's taken me to places like this to meet you guys. And, and I'm, you know, forever grateful for that. So, yeah, the adversity, it doesn't, people say it reveals who you are. And I think that's fair uh, because over time I've stayed true to, to who I am and it's taken me to some great places. Colin, I'm a Giants fan, so... I have to uh, go straight to to my love and ask you about the Giants. So I see on yeah. you know on your website you've you kind of touched on the fact that one of your greatest childhood memories was being at the Super Bowl parade, and it allows you to I suppose have that dream of playing in the NFL and what you want to get from your career. But what was that experience like signing for the Giants? And as you touched on, obviously then it was ripped away from you with the injury. But just the positive part of signing for them and that what all that experience and what it entailed. Yeah. So. It's my one of my favorite football memories. Sign signing with the New York Football Giants. It's a first class organization that I was extremely blessed to play for. Um, they are truly the first class of the NFL. I've been lucky to play for some some great first class organizations and in, and in, in the Bears and in Carolina. But the first team you play for, you know, you never forget them. And uh, it was something really special to me. So, yeah, I, I had a couple workouts before the draft and was not a not a high touted prospect and I had some injury history and 
I didn't catch a lot of passes my senior year. I was more of a run blocking tight end and and the role I've taken throughout my career. And I love, um, but I, I went to the workout with the giants and I did really well. I didn't have a good workout for the jets. I didn't think I did. Um, and Eagles, I did okay. But with the giants, I did, I did my best. And I signed undrafted with the giants. We had about 40 people at my house, obviously pre pandemic days. And, uh, it was bedlam. You guys, you know, you would have thought I was the number one over pick, number one overall pick, and just made forty million. And I, uh, I just signed a forty five hundred dollars signing bonus. That was all. So, uh, you know, it was a, a blessing and uh, and uh, something I'll never forget. And uh, I, I love my experience there. That there, it is truly, truly an a old school NFL. A lot of history. Bill Parcells. You know, the Eli Manning, I got to play with Eli and how cool that was. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed my time in New York. Met a lot of great people, and, and I had some fond memories for me. Did you uh, – sorry, Michael, did you get an opportunity to speak to John Mara at any stage when he's, when he's, after he signed? Uh, I did not. I did not. I mean, I, I, I was able to, to meet him, yes, yeah. and they were very present as an ownership. We have present owners here, too. The owners in Chicago are very present. I know a lot of organizations, maybe not so much, uh, which I think is really unique. They don't have to be, right? They don't. They don't have to be there. So, um, yeah, I did. They were. They were first class. I'm, I'll tell this story. The podcast, so I get to tell long-winded stories and have fun. Um, I, I been, at one point, I was doing so much radio, and I was just doing poor podcasts because it was like three, two-minute hits, and they're on to the next question, and then we're going to break, and then I'm off. Um, so. We play the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's the 2017 preseason. It's my first NFL game. I'm from about an hour and 30 minutes drive uh, to uh, East, East Rutherford, New Jersey, where the stadium is. So family's up for the game, right? Obviously, we probably had, I don't know, maybe 50 people there. It's my first NFL game. It's a preseason game. Play the game. I ended up playing like 10 snaps because the first and second team offense was sputtering out a lot. They wanted to get them more reps. So. I was healthy, came out of the game shaking. I was so nervous. I played horribly. I didn't play that bad, but I, I just remember not being in the right frame of mind, just like praying for nothing to go wrong. All's good, though. I walk out, no injuries, played my first game. Awesome. So go out to the parking lot, see my family, friends, and, and, and we got to see everyone, which was so cool, and, and, and got this really a celebration. I'm accumulation of all my family and friends and all the coaches I've had along the years, I truly believe that it is, there's no way I'm making it without all of the village that has helped me get to here where I am. Um, so that was cool. I got to celebrate with them and it was just a good time. And then I, we went into New York city with uh, two, uh, another couple that we're very good friends with. And I got to see my fiance for the first time. We spent the night in the city and a nice place. And uh, we're going to get breakfast and then walk around the city a little bit. And then I was going to go back to the facility. Right, go back, be back by two, three, get in the tubs, get recovered for the next practice day. Just a nice day off. So I wake up on that day off in excruciating pain. Excruciating. Like I mean, I I think I have a decent pain tolerance. I've had plenty of injuries over the years that I've, I've played through or whatever it may be. And my stomach was just on fire. I mean, literally throbbing pain. Something like felt like Mike Tyson was just laying uppercuts into my stomach. So uh, they were Uber, we were Uber into the facility and like the Uber stopping and going through the tunnel and my stomach's killing me. And then we get to the facility and I'm like, I'm in a ton of pain and 
whatever, fast forward. Um, I have to get the emergency appendectomy surgery. My appendix is about to burst. We go to the hospital. My fiance is with me. And this is the whole point of the story when you talk about the Maris and I talk about first class organization. So my fiance is there. When I wake up, the first person there is my tight ends coach, Kevin Gilbride, who was my tight end coach with the Giants, with the Bears. And now he's a coach on their staff in Carolina. So Kevin and I have been together a ton. Coach at Temple as well, where I started, where I finished my college career. And I wake up to them and I, you know, Kevin comes and says hi. And then uh, I get a call from a couple of people from the Giants organization and asking how I'm doing. And then it's time for my fiance to leave. And there was a medical a team member there, right, who's taking sure I'm up to date and they're taking care of me. And we're spoiled. We are absolutely spoiled. I'll admit it. But it's really nice. And, um, you know, we're, we're obviously work for the team. So they're taking care of us. And it's time to go. Sydney, Sydney my fiance, is ready to leave. And they're like, where are you going? She's like, I'm staying. I'm going to get an Uber back to the hotel. They said, no, you're not. There's a town car waiting outside for you. And I remember sitting there. And she's like, well, well no, it's no big deal. I'll just get an Uber. I'm like, yeah, I'll just get her an Uber right to the city. Forty, you know, thirty minutes away. It's no problem. They're like, no, we have a town car waiting for you with our security, our people that were blessed by the team to take her wherever you wanted to go. We don't care where you want to go. We're making sure you get where you want to go. So they took Sydney, the town car that Giants paid for, back into the city, and made sure that she got to her location safely. And and that's first class to me. That that didn't need to happen. Um, and that's a, this is a tidbit there about what the Giants. I know you're a Giants fan, um, Brian. So. It's a, I'm sure that makes you smile a little bit. They do truly a first-class job. I think uh, you've lived Brian's dream there, Colin. Uh, definitely, it's 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 an amazing story there. Even just reading up on it again, just just getting myself into it. Like going from the Giants, then having the surgery, going to the Bears, then you end up in the Alliance of American Football, a league that I myself and know these boys as well really enjoyed in the NFL offseason. Talk to us about that there, because that 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 must have been very challenging going from. You know, playing in the preseason or playing with, with an NFL franchise, going there and then trying to get back to that step again. Uh, you know what's funny? Guess where I was when I got signed in the American, uh, the Alliance of American Football League. Can anybody guess? <laughs> I don't want to say it. Call him guess. <laughs> I was at the, I, I was at the Guinness factory. <laughs> oh, okay, I, okay, right. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a Guinness factory in Baltimore, Maryland. The only one stateside, and it produces some of their beer. And I was there. It's like, cool. Check this out. Uh, <laughs> where the Naval Academy is here in Annapolis, Maryland, uh, we were had a, we had a nice night out the night before. We we're going to go have a couple of casual drinks and just hang out with some friends. And again, this is like my off season. This is uh, February. My agent and I decided that I, I had enough NFL interest where I did I wasn't going to go play in the um, the AAF. And I had about two or three pints. Is that the way I, I need, to, need to say it? I had two or three pints. And, uh, you know, it's good. It was mellow. Everything was really, really nice time. And my phone, I get a text from an old friend from the University of Florida saying, are you in shape? I'm like, yeah, I'm in shape. I didn't say, I should have said, yeah, I'm in shape. I got two or three beers in. Um, I'm primed and ready to go. So I said, yes, I'm in shape. Absolutely. Um, what's going on? He's like, well, I'm with the Birmingham Iron and we need a tight end. We're down. I want to fly in for a workout. So two days later, they flew me in for a workout. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great. I think if you're a young-minded, we say young-minded here, if you're immature, as a professional athlete, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to bother you about 
playing in the AAF or the XFL because it's not as illustrious, right? The hot tubs, if there is one, there's barely, you know, the hot water may not be what it is. I remember the, the bathrooms in Birmingham, uh, you know, for you to, for you to spend some time for you to go number two, I'll leave it at that. Uh, there was no doors on them. Right. So it, it takes a different minded individual, I think, to really get, get something out of it in a positive way. Uh, yeah, I had a great opportunity. We put to play football professionally. We made a lot of money and they played, they paid for our living. It's fantastic. Um, they paid for half of our transportation. It, it was, it was a fantastic environment. We got to play on national TV. I got to play with, Trent Richardson and great former professional players and players that have gone on to have great professional careers. So I, I loved it. I loved it. I love the XFL as well. I love the AAF. I enjoyed the journey, the grind. I got to see new cities, new places. And, uh, you know, it was something I'll never forget, but I, I had a great experience. I met some great coaches, some great people, learned a lot about the game and and, and learn a lot about myself. I think in those times you're by yourself again, like I am here, we're in a hotel, you're focused on your job, what you have to do, et cetera. Uh, and then, you know, there's a time and place to play or travel or whatever that is, but, but it's nice. I like, I like getting away and getting focused on my job. Certainly had an unbelievable experience in the AAF and the XFL. And you touched earlier that you, you finished your college career at, at Temple, which is a, a, a university I know well. I uh, worked in study abroad, so you used to have a lot of students come from Temple to, to Dublin. But while at Temple, you played under Matt Rule, and uh, obviously you're your coach now again uh, with the Panthers. What is he like as a coach, and has, has he changed from his time at Temple? Um, I'll answer your first question. He has changed, yes. Uh, but he still sticks true to his core values. He still sticks true to his core values. Um, he's first a great father and and someone that I respect. And he lets us, you know, listen to his family in a way and talks about, you know, the the the, the grind, the focus it takes to be a good father, a good coach, a good player, a well-rounded person. I think that's the best of coach rule is he's truly focused on you holistically as a human being, you know. If you're going to just throw the water bottle on the sideline or you're going to throw the water bottle out in the trash. I know that sounds like a small thing, but it's a big thing, right? And that, and the little things really matter to, to coach full, which I enjoyed. And um, when I transferred to Temple, I learned a lot. You know, I thought I was tough. Um, I found out I was not. And, um, you know, I, I went to a, a deeper place with, with the focus and the toughness and, the consistency of being a good teammate, which is just doing your job on a consistent basis. So yeah, coach rule is the elite of the elite. And I really hope to be here for a long time and experience this journey in Carolina because last year, you know, I don't uh, records. I, I didn't even know what our record was. season, guys. I, I didn't even know. I was so focused week to week, moment to moment. That's what coach rule is really about too, is in the moment. But I know there was a lot of close games. I should have went the other way. And if, you know, with injuries and all these different things, that's just the game. That's how it goes. That's not even an excuse. It's just real life. Um, you never know what your record's going to be or if we sneak into the playoffs. All I knew was someone told me with four games left, we were in the playoff hunt, and then we lost two games and we were out of the playoff hunt. So, you know, Coach Rule is is the best of the best. And like I said, I hope I hear from, I'm here for a long time and enjoying this ride because it's it's a special place to be with, with David Tepper, um, you know, some of our new front office members, and – and obviously, Coach Rule. 
Well, Colin, I know you're saying with the record, but you, you know, sometimes you, you can throw the records out because if you look at a team's performance and was they might not win the game, it was very evident that the players were playing for for Coach Will last year, and that's that's half the battle for a head coach in his first year. And this off season, I know Sam Darnold is the one that kind of takes all the attention, but they've done really well in free agency. You know, the Reddick, the edge rusher from the Cards has come over, Dan Arnold, the tight end, who was playing in your position, who had a really good year. The Cards last year, Cam Irving, offensive line. You know, very flexible player. They've done good things in the off season to kind of address some positions of need. And obviously, then with Teddy Bridgewater moving on, Sam Darnold's come in. And um, your thoughts for next season? Like, like so is, is there a completely different feel about it at the moment? It's a great question. It's a new team. I think every year there'll be a new team. Every team I've been on, this is probably one of the first teams I've actually been on long enough where I get to see the next season, which is really cool. Um, and just kind of an honest answer. Um, so yeah, it's 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 um it's a new start. It's a fresh start, right? There was a lot of upset people that how how things went last year, right? You're frustrated with your performance individually and 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 the team's performance. Obviously, when you when you're losing at at the rate we were last year, that's not what we want here. That's not the standard in Carolina, and that's not Coach Rule standard like we talked about. So yeah, there's definitely a great feel around, great buzz. Guys are excited to be back in the building. Guys are excited to be back together. Um, with the pandemic and, and things starting to open up here in the States a little bit more, start to feel a little bit of normal life again, especially in pro sports. Like last year was just unbelievable that we were even working and playing and what a humbling thing to work through a pandemic and, and, and be a part of a, of a team and organization that's all in on our safety during a pandemic uh, and then allows us to play and, and, and make money and, and, and be in this business, which is an unbelievable place. So to answer your question, a lot of good buzz. Um, this is our second full day on OTAs. I think we had nine or 10 of them. Um, so we got a couple of weeks left of OTAs and then a vet mini camp, and it'll, it'll be good. It's, it's great for the team bonding and morale because last year in the summer, you know, we're just coming in as a new team and you got to get your body ready and then you got to get to know everybody and learn a new playbook. And it, it was uh, it was quite the journey last year. I'm excited to have an all season under our belt going into this season. The show goes out on a Friday, Colin. Uh, this Friday it goes out 15 weeks until week one. So, yeah, be before you know it, it's going to be week one. I am going to very selfishly, Colin, I know you're a special guest here, but I have to do this. The week after the Super Bowl, we had a guy on that I think stole our hearts forever, F.A. Obata. And uh, oh. I have to say, oh, my God. Like, lads, you, you will say his... His interview with us was, like, as we say over here, unbelievable crack, great fun. Uh, I was gutted to see him leaving Carolina, I'm presuming. I, I think you said to Jeff previously, I mean, obviously a guy that's going to be missing the locker room. Yeah, he's – did he get to talk about his story? I know you guys, I'm sure, deep dive into it a little <laughs> yes, bit. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, first off, regardless of his story and what he's come from, what a great human being. Um, what a great just person uh husband friend um somebody just I, I just gave big hugs to you know someone that really appreciated friendship being a teammate taking care of each other um yeah they're always hard to replace they really are right and we have a great group of guys on the team like i tell a lot of people i'm constantly defending professional athletes that i've been able to meet over the years odell beckham i don't know you name them you name the big names i've been lucky to play with they're all great guys. They all want the same thing. Um, you know, they're just have, they're just have a little bit more fandom than the rest of us, a lot more, right? So it's a different way to handle it. They're constantly under the microscope. But a guy like Epe, 
humble as pie, grateful, respectful. Just I can't say enough great things about him. I'm sure he stole your guys' hearts because he's he is the real deal. And um, I was able to break bread with him a few times, you know, have a few drinks over the holidays and 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 get to know each other um, outside of the building and really just get to just get to know what he's about and what he's for and, and he'll be missed for sure. But we'll see him. We'll see him uh, towards the end of the season in Buffalo, which I'm excited for. Hopefully I can maybe soft jerseys with him because he's he's one of my favorite guys I've ever played with. Well, uh, when you do make it over to this part of the world, Colin, we'll, uh, alongside those beers, we'll bring you to Nando's as well, uh, which uh, FA seems to, to love. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure. Place? What's that? It's a, it's a chicken place. FA, FA loves it. It's, That's all, it's uh, all we talked about. It, oh, yeah, <laughs> it was great. But we'll bring you to the, re- the Guinness factory here, which I could throw a stone one. at from my window, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go for beers. Um, now you are you're a guy who clearly loves stories and you're 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 very comfortable like telling stories we you have the the not for long media podcast and I suppose I'm interested two two part question again one who has been your kind of favorite interview thus far and who would be your your dream guest because I keep telling the guys that I want us to get Shannon Sharp on here oh that's a good one I'm actually just popped up on my screen here with all the episodes I've had because there's some really good interviews I've I've been doing the, so I'll back it up. You said I'm a storyteller. So of course I'm going to tell a story. Uh, I got cut from the New York Giants, as we know, we talked through that. And I wanted to start a media career. And I was between playing in and out of the NFL for my first year in the first three years that I was professional athlete. Like with Temple football, I would call uh, color commentary on the radio for the Temple football games. I traveled with the team. It was the grind. I was doing Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles, pre and post game shows I was doing a lot of different things I was just saying yes to every opportunity and I was training during the week Monday through Friday and then I'd work and do radio on the weekends not making a dime but just getting experience and learning and then doing podcasts and just constantly moving the meter um so when I got from the Giants I was like wow the NFL really does stand for not for long so that's where not for long came from and that's a great question I've had some some really fun interviews uh over the years and and really for those that will go on to give the podcast a follow, I, I appreciate it. But uh, really, it's just a snapshot of, of who I am. I, I like a lot of everything from fishing to uh, TV shows to travel to having beers to, uh, you know, the type of guests we've had on. We've had, com- you know, comics. We've had lead singers of, of reggae bands. We've had clothing design, the, the, the TV show Entourage, the, the creator of that, Doug Ellen, came on. We have Super Bowl champions. We've had Women's Basketball Hall of Famers. Um, we've had College Basketball All-Americans. We just had a, the first uh, female sportscaster in, in, in Philadelphia uh, history, Leslie Goodell. She's fantastic. We're going to have uh, social media conglomerates come on. So, yeah, it's something that uh, – it's a great question. Who's my favorite of all time? Well, let me answer the question. Who would I want to have on the most? I would probably say Jason Witten. Uh, Jason Witten, I've spent a ton of time watching and, and trying to be more like uh, on and off the field. He's someone who's uh, just I've always looked up to. You know, I think physically I can relate to him the most out of a lot of other tight ends. Um, some guys are more gifted. Shannon Sharp can run by everybody. Jason Witten was not the guy to run by everybody, but was just meticulous and did it for so long. And he's all a famer. Um, 
and, you know, things he's done off the field in his second career. And he's just a, a great human being and just a true pro's pro. So Jason would be great to come on and tell his stories. Um, that's a great question. There's a lot of really good ones. Um, but my favorite interview of all time, probably the Doug Allen creator of Entourage was a big one for me. You know, I, I grew up watching Entourage with my college buddies and again, drinking those beers again and laughing and having a good time. Uh, yeah, definitely some fond memories there, but I've had some good ones. They're all great. They all are different for me. You know, having like a best, a great friend on a best friend guy that I got to play with was Trey Burton, who threw the Philly special in the Super Bowl. And, you know, they have Trey on because we go back so long uh, to the University of Florida was special. But really, all of it is, is great. I love it all. Uh, it's hard to pick one. It's a great question. All of this, between the football and the podcast, it doesn't sound like you have a lot of downtime. And when we do interview <laughs> players, we, we tend to talk about the game, their careers. We never really get into the whole what their downtime is like and what they like to do to kind of switch off from football and their career going forward. Like, I know you're a big hockey fan, but what do you like to do generally when the, when you're not thinking about football too much? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm pretty jam-packed full of what this podcast, I've created a business out of it. You know, I got to figure out what a W9 is and I got to, you know, we have sponsors and I, I have responsibility. Uh, it's a business. It, it is. It's turned into a business. I have four, four or five employees. Um, you know, counting on me. And you know, just an example, last night we were here and, you know, we had a, we, we shot the beginning part of the, of the podcast. And then uh, just a tidbit, like in the morning, I got in the facility early because I needed to be there one. And then two, I had an hour before meetings, but I had to build the podcast quickly before I wanted to do, get to my regiment. So it forced me to get up a little earlier, to be more responsible, have better time management. Um, and then just get the podcast out this morning. Um, but what do I do in my free time? I, I love the, I love the travel. I love the fish. I love to spend time with friends. Um, yeah, where I live is, is is a great place in Cape May, New Jersey, and uh, it's right right on the water. And you get to do a lot of different things, biking and walking and working out a bunch. It's it's kind of weird. Like it's just I don't even know. It's a great question. Hobby. I, I think I need to get more because I can't watch TV shows because I get addicted. I'll be watching it. I'll be justifying staying up till midnight when I should have been in bed two years two hours ago. I can't play video games because I'll get addicted and I'll be yelling at some kid and, you know, across the country who's, you know, telling me I suck. Um, so yeah, I just, I just, I'm, I'm honestly, I, I try to work as much as I can, especially right now, um, fill my days up as long as possible, uh, with work, 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 and then just enjoy it on the weekend and relax with family and friends. It's, it's funny you say about the amount of time and effort that goes into the podcast. We can certainly vouch for that in terms of the amount of work that we have to, we put in to keep to do this show, which is it's really worthwhile. Yeah, it is worthwhile, man. It's really cool. You get to meet new people. You know, it's fun work. It really is. Um, last one from me, Colin. Now you're you're being you're, you're being very quiet about this. You're talking about hobbies and stuff. Am I correct in thinking you're a Tottenham Hotspur fan? You're, ah. uh, <laughs> yeah, so, Spurs, it's, it's been a forgetful season for for Spurs it has in a sense but uh, it looks like Harry Kane could be gone I mean in, in a sense uh, do you think he could maybe walk into that Panthers team or or any NFL team he has tried to be a, a kicker before or a punter so who knows what could happen I'm sure he could I'm sure he could so I'll tell a story and that's the beauty of podcasts we got plenty of more stories to tell so <laughs> Uh, I am a Hotspur fan, and it, you know what? In the states, it's great because Sunday mornings you wake up and it's on. Premier League mornings, one. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! 
so I started to get into it. I never really was a soccer fan. When I played soccer, I would like push people over. And my mom told me she used to hide in the car when I was a kid because parents would be like, this kid's too old. Or I was obviously a little bit bigger and I was bumping into people and it just was not good. So my mom would like run out, grab me, put me in the car and they, she would like take off. So I never played and you know, in the States, it's all football, right? I'm the football player. I played ice hockey. I'm a huge Flyers fan. I'm a Carolina um, Hurricanes fan now. And uh, I, I love hockey. That's like my escape. It really is. I really enjoy watching it and listening to podcasts and et cetera. All right. So I, I go to Key West, Florida. Um, my parents have been going for like 40 years and it's like it's home away from home for me. And that's where I spend some time in the off season, just relaxing and getting away and seeing some old friends and family and having a good time. All right. So the guy I went fishing, I, I grew up fishing with Pete called him seaweed Pete. Cause he always think we'd have fish on and it would just be seaweed. Right. And then we had to reel it in. And he's got he's that Tottenham Hotspur man. He's a fast man. He's got the whole accent going, right? He's chain smokes cigarettes. Pete li- listens. I love you, Pete. And drinks Diet Coke. You know, that's all he does. Uh, so he's a Hotspur fan. I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. I, you know, my buddy's a Liverpool fan. I started getting Premier League last year, and it was a good year to be a Liverpool fan because obviously they won. And it was fun for me to follow that team. But I just didn't feel right picking it them. I didn't want to pick that. Like, it was a cool opportunity for me to pick a team. No one can really judge you. It's not like here. We're like, oh, where are you from? Oh, you better be an Eagles fan. You're from Philly. No, I'm not an Eagles fan. You know, um, so I'll make it brief. So then I bumped into a new friend, a bartender in town that we just met. She's a diehard Hotspur fan. And boom, we go to the the uh, Irish pub in Key West. There is one called Shanna Key. And uh, we went in there and watched a Hotspur game. Like, this is great. Okay. And then the next day, I meet a buddy who I've known down there forever. And he walks in with a Tottenham Hotspur zip up. And he's like, these are three days in a row, like literally fishing, meet the bartender, then see my buddy. And he's like, yeah, I'm a big fan. My niece and nephews got me this jacket. So I'm like, it's done. I'm a Hotspur fan. So now I'm all in to some extent. I bought a hat, which is not that I'm wearing today. I was wearing it Sunday for their last, last game of the year, last match of the year. So yeah, I'm a fan. I'm getting more into it. I know who Harry Kane is. I hope he does not leave. It doesn't sound right. It wouldn't be good. We don't want Chris McCaffrey leaving the Panthers. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm a Tottenham Hotspurs fan, and I'm loving it, man. It's giving me a team to root for. There's a good little Twitter follow and banter with it. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm here to learn more. Kyle, I have to, to say, we've been very fortunate to talk to a lot of great people, both players, ex-players, media types. This, uh, my favorite, probably because I'm a Broncos fan, we've uh, had Mark Schlereth on the on the show. You remind me a lot, a lot of Sting, just that ability to bring stories in, to weave it all t- together. Um, just uh, I, I definitely for viewers, they should check out your podcast because the way in which you tell stories is fantastic. Quick one before we, we let you go. Who's winning the Stanley Cup this year? Philadelphia Flyers. No, I'm kidding. They're eliminated. That's a, that's a wonderful compliment, too, because I'm a big fan of Mark Flair, and I've always grew up listening to Mark. I was bummed when he got let go from ESPN. I think he was awesome. And um, was winning the Stanley Cup this year. Is it going to be Is it going to be the Avs? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it has so. has to be the Avs. Sweep. Sweep. I, I don't the, think it's the, the Avs. I don't think it's the Avs. Definitely not the Islanders. I, I don't think they can score <laughs> enough. I, I, I just think it's the Lightning. I'll be honest with you. I, I, they have the best goalie in the world. Another championship um, for Tampa Bay. Another championship. Yeah. You know what's funny in Tampa Bay last year is another story, and I feel bad for that city. So, okay, the XFL folded. We had like 25,000 people 
at a game, which was big. That was huge. You know, for a city in February, there's like 25,000 people at a game. All their spring training, which happens around there, got canceled. XFL canceled. Couldn't go to one hockey game last year. They won, they won the Stanley Cup. That's a great little city. The Bucs won the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay Rays went to the finals. And the, the men's Elite Eight was supposed to be there for March Madness, and it all got canceled. I know that's a random thought, and I know I'm a weird dude, but that was pretty funny. Like, I was like, not funny, but pretty sad. It's like, wow, what a... If that happened in Philadelphia, like the people would be riding the street. It wouldn't, it wouldn't even happen. Uh, but t- Florida, they're like on the beach and like, wait, there's a game going on? Like, what do you mean? So, Colin yeah. For, yeah. Colin, for a second there, I was asked, I thought Colin was in Asia, where, where's Julio Jones getting traded? Yeah. Not in my world for sure, but he's a ridiculous player. Um, uh, pretty funny by, uh, by Shannon Sharp, your, your future guest to call him in the middle of the show. I was incredible. Um, like, as a player, Colin, you must have found that, like, a little bit funny. Like, I was laughing my head off. I, I thought that was hilarious yesterday. Like, yeah, pretty funny. Um, yeah, <laughs> Shannon's had, we, hysterical. Go ahead. We, we, sorry, we were having a conversation yesterday whether it was orchestrated to push the move on. Yeah, I mean, hey. It's interesting, right? Like, like if Fox has anything to do with it, right? He was on FS1. Maybe he goes. He's going to a team that's on the premier market. I have no idea, right? Who knows? Uh, but he's, I mean, he's unreal. He's unreal. He said he wanted to win, so come to Carolina. Right? <laughs> Absolutely, Colin. Uh, this has been great. Uh, you're definitely now our go-to guy for whenever you score two or three touchdowns weekly. I am gonna annoy you. Like, come on, the show. No, here, seriously, you're great to check in. Maybe during the season again, but. Uh, Appreciate your time. Wish you all the very best luck this season as well for, for you and for the Panthers. Hope you hope you do well and uh, enjoy the rest of uh, OTAs and then not too long to the season, my man. Yeah, not too long it is. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Uh, our guest today on the Irish NFL Show. Great show today, but uh, our main guest today, Michael Silver from NFL Network. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you on. Welcome to the Irish NFL Show. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Uh, hopefully we can do this in person in your beautiful country one day. Or in L.A. in February. But the first question, Michael, for you, let me ask everybody this. Have you any uh, connections to Ireland? Have you ever been to Ireland? You know, I haven't. Uh, it's, um, it's really high on my list of, you know, my kids are all uh, now legal adults. And so my wife and I are kind of looking forward to our empty nest reality. And uh you know, um, we have some in-laws who actually are first-generation Americans from Ireland, and we've heard a lot about it. And we have been to the UK, we have been to England, but not. Uh, you know, I want to do an Ireland-only trip, and I want you know, I want beer to be very paramount on the list of activities. I feel like that's only right. It just seems like it would be shortchanging myself to do it otherwise. Yeah, I think uh, we can certainly uh, arrange, uh, you know, you've three tour guides here, Michael, and uh, the, there's the Guinness factory, there's the, the Jameson distillery, there's plenty to, to see, definitely. And uh, I was saying to you that, um, you know, before we started that we love stories in Ireland, and that is certainly the case. And, and you're a man who has stories. I mean, what, a, what an incredibly distinguished career you've had as a journalist, uh, you know, um, then moving into the media side of things, you now have uh, your own podcast as well interested in hearing um you know some of some of your you know your your favorite moments from from your time writing some of some of the highlights uh, greatest hits tours if you will 
Oh, man. Well, I, I started out covering the San Francisco 49ers in 1989, and they were uh, that season, they were they would go on to win their fourth Super Bowl in nine years. And uh, I had grown up in Los Angeles, but was born in San Francisco and grew up a 49er fan. And that was not a great thing to be in L.A. Uh, as a kid. One, there was a big rivalry. And two, the my team's always lost. In fact, one of my friends I grew up with used to clown me for being a Golden State Warriors fan back then. And um, ultimately, I was able to convince him that I was right because he is now their head coach. So uh, former Laker fan Steve Kerr now understands why you should, you know, be a loyalist for Northern California teams, at least that one. But yeah, then I went to college in Berkeley and have basically stayed in Northern California. But Joe Montana, to me, you know, growing up and even in college, he was the guy who took my downtrodden team and made it magical and great. So it was an abrupt transition, you know, as you guys know, you know, you, you become objective and you tune out all the fan stuff when you become a professional journalist. But, you know, I, it turned out Joe Montana was such a good dude that I at least still loved him. I wasn't actively rooting for him anymore, but, uh, that was a lot of fun. And really the, the tentacles of that, it was post Bill Walsh, but he was still kind of around. He came back in the front office, but that Walsh, Montana, that organization really um, sustained me for a long time. When I went to Sports Illustrated uh, in 1994 and had a long run there covering the NFL, you know, I knew a lot more people around the league in, in big positions because they had kind of come from that tree and one of the guys I knew from you know the latter part of my time covering the 49ers daily was Mike Shanahan who'd been their offensive coordinator now you look at Kyle and his whole crew that worked for Mike Sean McVay Matt LaFleur uh, Mike McDaniel so many others so that's really been nice and then of course I did do a book with Dennis Rodman and uh, you know have way too many uh, you know, he, he would fit right in I, from what I've heard with the Irish culture. He, uh, you know, he, he is, he's loud, he's excessive, he loves uh, to party, and uh, he does love to tell stories, although sometimes he likes hearing people like me tell stories instead. But I, I, I've been really lucky. And then, yeah, during the, the pandemic, you know, early in the quarantine, my daughter, who also went to, to Cal and uh, is now out uh in the working world she was held captive in our house so we did start a, a podcast exactly one year ago uh and uh, i basically just tried to exploit her labor and use her to inject some sanity into the proceedings and, and we have had a lot of fun it's called pass it down and it's uh, available on all major platforms michael there's one thing i love about your your coverage when you're on nfl network you're never shy giving your opinion and right this offseason has been probably one of the most intriguing ones we've had in quite a while in terms of the quarterback carousel, in particular, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, and more so of late, Aaron Rodgers. And even this week, Aaron Rodgers' interview on ESPN, you know, it was like a tactical move. He's expressed his praise of everybody within the organization, the players, the, the backroom staff, but not so much the GM. You know, he kind of was the exception to the rule. And then today, Alex Smith is on... Uh, Colin Coward on, on Fox Sports saying that Rogers has been treated harshly. And then when he when he was in Kansas City, he knew about the Mahomes 
um, drop hick. He knew what was coming down the line. Your your overall thoughts on the whole situation in Green Bay in particular? Well, um, first of all, thank you for noticing that I am not afraid to give my opinion because it's great entertainment. You know, I was a newspaper columnist before I went to Sports Illustrated, and that's kind of my natural mentality is to go strong on opinion. And then for 13 years at SI, I had to kind of, you know, I was a journalist, but I wasn't, I, I did do some online columns, but then I went to Yahoo in 2007 and I came roaring back. But um, yeah, it, it's an extraordinary time. I did a story leading into the, the Super Bowl, um, you know, last January, and we called it the Brady effect. And it was basically talked about all the quarterback upheaval from the previous season and that we were anticipating this coming off season. And, and I agree, it's turned out to be more than we even bargained for. But, um, you know, I, I think the mentality has changed both in terms of teams, as you saw with the Rams willingness to, to move on from golf and the Eagles and Wentz um, and the previous year, the Buccaneers and Titans not picking up the options and moving on from Winston and Mariota and from the, the quarterbacks themselves, it is a little bit more like an NBA mentality. Um, and, uh, you know, Brady was an extraordinary situation, but seeing Brady be able to pick his new team, a franchise that had not done much of anything save for one season where they won it all, and then take that team, which they then loaded up around him to the top, uh, definitely – you know, I, I'm sure it affected Russell Wilson and, and Aaron Rodgers and others. Now, um, as far as w Rodgers, and I'll, I'll start with that one, um, you know, my appetite for quarterback uh, upheaval is a little different from, I think, a lot of younger fans who, you know, who, who think that controversy or things going on on Twitter or whatever is just such a and jolting insane thing that people couldn't possibly weather. I mean, I came up covering Joe Montana and Steve Young every day, and they were together for six years, uh, including two when Joe was hurt, his final two seasons in San Francisco, when Young won a passing title and an MVP, and still Montana had the fan base. Uh, and then I saw the Favre Rogers thing up close and personal and, uh, those are just, those are probably the two highest profile ones, but I've seen a lot of these and it's seldom smooth, even when you have a legendary presence who's done so much for the franchise uh, toward the end. So yeah, when, when they drafted Jordan Love and as Alex Smith said, didn't give Aaron Rodgers a heads up and, and I could see that, but more important, I think in the immediate aftermath, didn't sufficiently give him a sense that, Hey, we did this, we like him, but you're the guy and we're going to show you that you're the guy going forward for a while. Um, when that didn't happen, it, it clearly set something off in him and he channeled it and had an incredible season and got to the brink of a Super Bowl and then not insignificantly lost out to another legend, Tom Brady, whose organization had the exact opposite philosophy, which was oh my God, we've got Tom Brady and it's crazy that he's still this good at this age. Let's get everybody and we don't care about anything else. And the Packers are the exact opposite um, franchise. Um, you know, full disclosure, my sons especially, my, all my kids and my wife have become Packer fans. Basically when we are Cal people, you see in the background and when Aaron Rodgers 
uh, was drafted in Green Bay. My sons were really young and they just decided they were Packer fans. So I hear Packer scrutiny in my life, like uh, on a level that few people could understand. I remember telling Matt LaFleur when he got that job, hey, you think you you think you're under pressure because it's title town and Vince Lombardi coached there. You have no idea, dude, you now have, you know, there's a direct pipeline for my sons into, uh, you know, your head. So watch out. But, um, you know, it is a maddening organization to root for, in my opinion, because it's great to be able to say, Hey man, our philosophy is to sit on our hands and let it come to us and build through the draft. And, um, you know, that's how we do it. And I'm like, yeah, it must be nice when you have consecutive first ballot Hall of Fame quarterbacks for a 30 year period, um, which is, you know, obviously unprecedented. Montana and Young happened. It wasn't for 30 years. And that's the only analogy uh, in U.S. football. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll do that, too. Give me Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers for 30 years and I'll chill and not spend and build through the draft and not make trades inside free agents and I'll win a bunch of games too, because they'll cover up all else. Now I would say winning two Super Bowls and going to three during that 30 year stretch with those two quarterbacks is just pitifully underachieving, but a lot of Packer fans remarkably feel differently. My sons and other family members, not among them, they certainly err on the other side. There's another Packers fan in Ireland and, and general consensus is that Rogers I mean, he saw how firsthand how far, how the Favre situation played out in the end with Rogers coming in. So he's kind of ahead of the curve for making sure he gets out of there before that happens to him. Well, and and as it turned out, and I I kind of felt this at that time just because I'd seen a lot of Aaron Rodgers as someone who you know may or may not have cried when they when his college team was screwed out of its rightful Rose Bowl. But I digress. But um, the, the notion that you would now get another Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre, like it's happened twice, Montana to Young, the messiest thing ever, and then Favre to Rodgers, insanely messy, and now, oh, and now we're going to also have it happen, Rodgers to Love. Now, I Love may end up being a really good player, and I just want to say for the record, in a vacuum, I don't hate what they did in terms of aggressively going up, getting him and setting themselves up for the future. I don't hate that in a vacuum. They obviously didn't handle the, the uh, personal relations side of it very well. It's also unique in that it was a virtual draft. Everyone's a part. And you also have an organization that more than any other in the NFL by far has personnel and coaches at different silos. So this was not, Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst just going, hey, let's do this. It was the GM doing it and the coach basically being like, wait, you did what? Okay, so um, so there's all that. But um, I don't hate the, the philosophy of doing that. It's just that that was literally the only aggressive thing they did in the entire offseason when they had been on the verge the year before and Rogers' windows closing more. So the previous offseason, uh, you get a new GM in, in Goody. He comes in, he signs Darius Smith, Preston Smith, Billy Turner, Adrian Amos, and to great effect, it all helped. And then the next offseason, it's like, meh, 
We're not signing anybody. Oh, we can get Devin Funches for cheap. Sure, he'll be great. Oh, wait, he opted out. Okay, so they really did nothing. They did nothing aggressive in the draft. The optics of the draft were insane. It was a receiver-rich draft, and they literally took no receiver. And their first two picks were trade up for Jordan Love, the only aggressive move we're making, and then take another back when we have two good ones, and then take an H-back who's basically a blocker. I mean, whatever. In a vacuum, you could defend any of that, but all of that was a lot. And then there were weird things like, you know, Apparently, Aaron Rodgers was offended about the Jake Kumaro thing. Now, Jake Kumaro was a gritty receiver who made the team the year before. And Aaron Rodgers took the somewhat, you know, extraordinary step of publicly coming out last August and saying, well, Jake Kumaro has made the team based on what I've seen. And then they cut him the next day. And I know the quarterback shouldn't have personnel control. I know that they've got to put the best guys in the field. But if you guys would indulge me, there are a lot of instances when players have been on NFL rosters because it was keeping somebody happy and nobody freaked out about it. I would, I would, uh, I would urge you to check out the career of one Griff Whalen for the Indianapolis Colts during Andrew Luck's uh, time there. Uh, T.O. had a guy, another receiver. I can't remember his name. I'm blanking. But there was a, another receiver on the Niners scrappy, you know, end of the roster guy. That guy was around. Um, you know, I would I would argue that Blake Bortles coming to the Rams had a great relationship with Jared Goff. I could go on and on. So Antonio, it's not Brown, that, Antonio Brown last year. Yeah, right. And it's not that the Packers can't, you know, it's not that I mean they could they could die on that hill and say we don't let our quarterback pick the play. Okay, but you're doing it wrong clearly because he is high maintenance. He is a lot. He is clearly sensitive, but you know what? He's also in a lot of people's minds, the most skilled person ever to have done this. And the reason all of you have good jobs still. So maybe try to manage that a little better. The job is not talent acquirer. It's not drafter. It's general manager. And I'm not, and when I say GM, it's not just, I put Mark Murphy, the team president, squarely in there, and there's some shared responsibility there, and it may be more Mark Murphy's ultimately because he's got uh, final say, and uh, they don't have an owner, so I'm going to point it at those two guys right now. Me and uh, Colin, Michael, are both Broncos fans, so I'm just going to jump to this. I know you were in Del Valle. Over nice. the draft, I, I'm nearly certain you were in Del Valle. I was watching the draft. You wrote, you wrote a really good piece on the transition from John Elway to George Payton recently in terms of Elway stepping back, allowing Payton to come in and have his own stamp on the draft. What was, you know, obviously your thoughts, you were in the facility. You know, a lot of people sitting at that position, I think nine, not going with fields, going obviously very high on certain. What was that feeling? Was it a surprise for you at the time or do you think the Broncos were very much on him beforehand? Uh, Okay, well, first of all, just being able to cover something in person uh, was amazing. And uh, listen, I'm fine texting. I have lots of phone numbers. I've got this setup you see behind me where I can appear on NFL Network from here. Uh, I've got phone numbers like it's cool, but it's that's like a two like being in. I mean, that's kind of how I made my career. I mentioned Dennis Rodman, but I'm kind of known for hanging out and getting people away from the facility and certainly at the facility. And 
uh, it's I forgot like how important it is. So it was just first of all, it was amazing to be there. Can I just ask for a sec? How did you guys become Bronco fans? For me, it, they showed highlights here um, when I was growing up, and there was this blur of a number seven in neon orange, and I just fell in love with how he played the game. That makes total sense. Okay, I get that. What about you? Uh, college late nights, Jets, Tebow. Uh, the Michael, just before they go any further. <laughs> you became a Bronco fan because of Tim Tebow. Well, pretty much like that whole season, they were just on TV. It was insane I was, that season. Are you gonna yeah. be a Are you gonna be a Jags fan if he makes that roster? No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. I got very lucky. I, I I got a jersey. It came to Ireland. It actually got held up in Iceland. There was a forty dollar processing fee. Two weeks later, he got cut, and then Manning came in, and it's it's been pretty sweet since. But that's yeah. why I got I got very lucky. So yeah, you got very lucky. And who do you root for, if anyone? Michael, my first game in which I saw live was the Giants Broncos Super Bowl twenty one. Yes. And, th- and thankfully, so the Broncos were involved. Thankfully, I, I picked the right team. I'm a Giants fan. You're a Giants and, uh, fan, all right. Phil Sims uh, and Rodney, uh, Phil Sims, Rodney Hampton back, back well, in those. Well, I'm showing me age, you see, Michael. One of the great things that the Giants did this offseason, and then I'll get back to the Broncos, is they kept their defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham. He was fantastic last year. He had come from Miami. And um, Logan Ryan, I believe, is the one who nicknamed him Black Picasso, which I love and I will run with. But um this is a guy who would have had head coaching interviews i know the jets had him on their list um and people might have said well that's early but you know brandon staley same thing and and he got one uh i think this i'm sure this guy's a future head coach his um strategic acumen is ahead of the curve and uh you know his players really um i think i I think his teachings really resonate with them so i've got my eye on uh, Patrick Graham, so enjoy him while you got him. Well, and well, Michael, um, sorry, one one point on that. Last year when he came in, he was he was announced straight away as the assistant head coach, and people raised their eyebrows because Jason Garrett, who come in as the coordinator, right. didn't get that opportunity. But I think now after twelve months, it's clear to see as to why that was the case. Yeah, and that's not a slight on Jason Garrett, but I, yeah. but I'm a huge Patrick Graham fan. So, um, so the Broncos to me were an interesting story, and I thought about trying to cover the 49ers draft. I could drive there and. Um, you know, obviously there was a lot of attention, but my thought on that was that story ends the second they turn in that pick. And, uh, you know, it's a great story. We've been talking about it for weeks, but they're going to make a decision and that's it. The Broncos to me had so much intrigue because there were so many different ways they could go. They could go up, they could go down, they could stay, they could take a quarterback. They could not take a quarterback. They could get a quarterback through other means, um turns out they could have traded for Aaron Rodgers on paper uh so the story kind of came to me but uh, you know that combined with the fact that you know I've listen I've had the opportunity to cover John Elway uh for a long time as a player it just I mean one of my all-time favorites so the thought of Elway stepping aside you know but picking his successor Peyton is a great story he's a guy who is been held in such high regard for so long love him as a dude and the fact that he finally went was a big deal and then Fangio who is I you know is a crusty dude that I know very well and he is not you know he's not an idiot he's not only a brilliant defensive strategist but he kind of knows he has to win 
a bunch of games in a really tough division. So like when we were talking before the draft, Vic and I about Trey Lance, he was like, are you kidding? Like, yeah, he's got unbelievable potential. He went to North Dakota state and barely played. I'm fired, you know, not in so many words, but I'm probably fired if we start him. So, um, you know, you had Fangio's perspective, which is I got to win. Now you had Peyton's perspective, which is I got to build this thing up the right way for the future. And then you had Elway who, obviously knows a lot about quarterbacks and, and, you know, was, was there too. So I really, I had a great experience. Um, I thought one thing that Peyton did that was really cool was he was just, um, he was very decisive and right. We always, we always wonder, yeah, okay. George Peyton has been through a lot of drafts as the number two, the number three, he's, you know, he's probably as prepared for this as you can be. But it's different when you get in that chair. And we've seen GMs who get in that chair when they were good candidates. And it's like, ah, and he was like total opposite from what I could, you know, observe. He was just like, yeah. I mean, I talked to him two hours before the start of the first round when Rogers uh, mania was now in full swing. And that, and that was a, you know, that was a very recent development that it was like an hour of chatter. And now he knew it was a thing. And he basically was like, yeah, I'll, I've got to look into it. Of course. Um, if I think I can get him, but not tonight, I'm going to have a plan. And the plan would be, you know, a team like the saints or the bears looking to get way down. I could flip the ninth pick, accumulate some 2022 assets and then have more to package. So um, I kind of knew based on my last conversations with him that if there was a, a dramatic trade down from nine, I, you know, that was, that wouldn't have been hard math to connect for me. I'm like, Oh, wow. I, he thinks he's getting Aaron Rodgers. So doesn't mean they can't get him now, but he obviously didn't have that impression when they decided to make that pick. And then, you know, Bridgewater had just given them enough of a peace of mind that he thought, you know, we really do like, it probably would have been fields there. Right? We really do like fields, but um, you know, I'm going to take the guy that I think is the best player. And like me, because George used to work for the dolphins way back when, like me, he knows the dad and Pat Sertan, the elder is one of my favorite dudes and players that I've ever covered just exudes swag, but in a very, very uh, humble and hard, uh, hum I don't know about humble, but like a very, a noble and hardworking way. So I figured, I, I mean, I, I remember hearing early in the scouting process, you know, this guy's better than his dad. And I, I finally messaged Pat, the elder, and was like, if he's better than you, then he must be pretty bleeping good. And he was like, yeah, no doubt. So um, I'm excited. I think, I think it's a cool pick, cool draft. And I, I think best of all, George Payton uh, was built for this and, and the moment didn't overwhelm him. In fact, the contrary. Well, certainly as the, as the first team to have missed the, the playoffs for five years after winning a Super Bowl, uh, Broncos country is hoping that, uh, you know, they, Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke are the answer, but I guess time, time will tell. Now, one of the things I think that um, this draft was interesting and, and another colossus of the, the, the say, journalistic and, and sports network industry is Peter King, a friend of yours. Oh, really? um, very, very good friend, yes. And, and Pete, we, we were, Peter was kind enough to come on to, and talk to us as well. And one of the things that in the run-up was he was talking about the in years past, um, quarterbacks didn't go quite so early or quite so frequently. 
and I know I read a, an interview that you did where you said, I think, uh, was it that uh, what, one, is the, one is the loneliest number? So I'm interested in, in hearing your thoughts on, on this year's number one overall, Trevor Lawrence, but also obviously in, in kind of so many QBs going, you know, forward going in the top 15. Well, first of all, uh, I usually only do this in front of Peter, but I'll do it for you guys because he probably, you know, uh, I guess he can see this because it's broadcast everywhere, but he, I w you won't have to deal with him in person. I will. But here are the things you need to know about the quarterback landscape and why it's changed. But forget about that. I want to talk about Guinness. Guinness. Anyway, okay. So we've done that. Um, <laughs> you, you know, first let's talk globally. Um, yeah, before 2007, basically, if you ask me who's a quarterback who came in immediately, played right away, got it, and never looked back, I'd go, oh, yeah, Dan Marino. That you'd go, oh, who else? And I'd be like, um, no one. I mean, I could find you guys who played as a rookie and then got way better pretty quick, like Peyton Manning. I could find you guys like Rick Meyer who were really good as a rookie, but then – um, you know, kind of tailed off. But to find a guy who just came in, got it, and stayed good, um, and I don't mean like Roethlisberger, who kind of managed the game for a good team, but but got it, it just it, it just wasn't the way it worked in the NFL. And there were so many guys like Aaron Rodgers and Phillip Rivers who, because they waited, seemed to benefit from it. But then in 2007, that all changed. Um, Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco came in, looked very, very comfortable right away, especially Ryan. And, you know, in Ryan's case, he really hasn't stopped. Flacco obviously plateaued after winning a Super Bowl and, and it's gotten worse, but that really changed a lot of teams thinking like, and part of what's happened is NFL coaches have been more uh, savvy about incorporating college concepts into their offense and not making every quarterback. You got to learn you know, my way, the really complicated way right away. So that happened. And then the final piece of that is the rookie wage scale came in. So instead of um, having to pay closer to market value for your high draft pick at quarterback, you were ripping them off. And that's because the uh, current players sold out the future players in the CBA talks in a calculated way. They got some things for it. But now you have an artificially depressed market where you get quarterbacks cheap for, you know, up to five years, really, with the, you know, and then you can franchise them. So um, because of that, it's less of a risk. And it's also a good business decision in that if you're a team like the Seattle Seahawks and you've got, you're loaded up and you're coming into your own in 2012 and you hit on Russell Wilson, well, you've got four years without having to pay him and you could pay a whole lot of guys around him. And that's a luxury, you know, and we're seeing teams, you know, the chiefs had it for a while with Mahomes, the Ravens have it with Lamar, the bills have it still with Josh Allen. You've got a little window there. So um, all of those things together have made it much more, um, you know, attractive, I think for, or plausible for teams to just go, let's draft someone high and throw them in pretty quick and, and roll with it. Um, and then this year was probably a pretty good quarterback year. You know, Trevor Lawrence, I, I feel like he's one of those guys who we all heard he was going to be number one. He looks the part. And then usually holes get picked in those guys. It happened to Bridgewater, you know, got knocked way down among others. But he didn't really get picked apart too much. Um, it happened a little. But, um, you know, I think 
there's a there's a most personnel people and coaches I know believe he has a chance to be really special. And um, you know, they tried to pick it apart at the end because he doesn't love football enough or doesn't exude it enough. But I I, I don't know. I'm I'm anxious to start to get to know, you know, get to know some of these people in person. But my sense is he'll he'll be okay. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about him. I'm excited to see what all these guys do. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, he'll start, Wilson will start. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of inertia toward field starting. We'll see Lance probably in a perfect world would start right away, but you know, really Jimmy has to stay healthy, win games and play well to stay in and that you know that's an easy equation to have go haywire and uh and then you've got mac jones who uh you know he could easily start too if not right away then pretty quick so it's going to be really fun to watch michael a storyline recently and once it's not a major storyline it is quite controversial is the nflpa recommended to players you know not to be participate in otas or not to be attending any um preparation facilities and stuff and which has led to players getting injured because they're going off and doing training in isolation, they're practicing in isolation. You know, is, is that going to lead to just more cause for concern further down the line? I have a story for you. I, 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 think you'll, I think you'll like hearing it this way. So let's go back 20 years to 2001. I'm writing a big story on Edgerin James, uh, now a Hall of Famer for um, Sports Illustrated. So get him on the phone before texting. And he's like, yo, just come to Miami. we got a big weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend. They have some name for it in Miami. It's like there's different names for it. But it's basically an urban music soul festival. It's awesome. It's a very, very big weekend in Miami. And, you know, that's a long way for me to go. But uh, I was certainly excited. So I hang out with Edrin, and he didn't really sleep much. Uh he wasn't always a huge partier. He basically shut it down from like after Memorial Day through the end of the season. Um, so we were partying, we were drinking, but it wasn't like, wasn't like Rodman-esque. But one thing he did do was he did, he decided he didn't really need sleep for those three nights. And, you know, I remember we bowled all night with some people. He was hustling at a bowling alley. We, uh, he worked out till late one. I mean, we, I just remember sleeping like seven hours in three days and um, then he wanted me to come to Cancun um, and they were all going and they had it all set up. And somehow I think I did what we call the Irish goodbye, which is uh, I just got back on a plane to California without um, telling anyone I wasn't coming to Cancun. I did get a phone call when I landed from Cancun and he wanted to know what was going on. But, uh, you know, I, I had plenty of stuff and my wife, was probably eager to see me and I just, I didn't know if my, you know, liver could withstand it. So um, now I write the story and one of my editors calls and says, Hey, listen, have you seen that this became a thing? And, and I go, yeah, yeah. So what had happened was that very weekend had been a, a voluntary mini camp in Indianapolis that uh, Edgerin had chosen to spend with me and others partying in Miami. And I uh, normally, oh, whatever. He's a star player. He didn't come. Maybe few people talk about it, but both his head coach, Jim Mora and his quarterback, Peyton Manning, somewhat extraordinarily had kind of ripped him in the press for not being there. So now my editor's like, look, I know you hate this stuff, but you got to put this in your story. Call, call Edron in Cancun and get a quote. So 
So I call him up and I'm like, yo, he's like, hey, are you coming? I go, no, I'm not coming. But hey, I guess this minicamp's a thing. I need a quote from you. And I would argue that Edward James is one of the greatest quote givers that I've ever encountered. If not, he's in the top three for sure. And off his head, he just said, okay, here's a quote. I only went to college for two and a half years, and even I know the meaning of the word voluntary. So I uh, had my quote. So that's kind of how I feel about the voluntary stuff. Now, listen, everything's a negotiation. So if you want it, if you want players to be there that bad, don't make it voluntary. Go to the NFLPA, say we want to, we want to negotiate and make this much of it mandatory we'll pay you for it we'll give you this you know you could do it but what what's really going on is that the players think the offseason is too much and i think they're probably right because they all stay in shape now it's not like when i started covering it guys would show up fat for training camp and still make the team they're staying in shape the players i think rightfully believe the offseason is too much all these meetings and it's just it's a lot the the coaches and outliers like Peyton Manning are like, what do you mean? It's not enough. We should have you every second of every day. And they're like going to use any pressure tactic they can to get guys there. But the owners who are really the ones negotiating against the players do not care. And we saw this in 2011 when they had to settle this very, very difficult lockout. And the owners were like, oh, you want like reduction in offseason stuff and all that? Yeah, okay, whatever. Like, sure. Um, that's all it's gonna take to we're there on the money. Yeah, just take that. And so coaches were like, no! Peyton Manning was like, no, but they don't care. So this is not hard. And so what's really interesting is yes, the union tried a power play. Yes, it was destined to fail because rookies aren't going to do that or guys in danger of not making the team, which is most guys. So it wasn't going to work, but what it did do, which is brilliant, I think, is it got um, coaches to come to the table with their players. And so veterans have been successfully talking to coaches and distilling this to what's important. And so, for example, a team like the Raiders, it's like, okay, what do you guys really like upset about well we think five weeks of this is stupid and we also think that 11 on 11 drills are a lot and they're too physical okay well what if we all agreed that you're going to come for these three weeks and during these three weeks we're going to do this and this seven on seven but not this and this and we'll reduce meetings by half okay let, let us talk to the guys okay you know what we'll do that boom problem fit so to me it's it's not that big a deal i mean we saw last off season like oh my god there's not i mean you know let's see a 44 year old quarterback 43 year old quarterback changed teams and went to adapt to a new offense and system and terminology and new teammates with zero off season and zero preseason and won the Super Bowl. I think, like, you know, the the mystique of we won, you know, we won games because of OTAs. Yeah, okay, maybe. Let's see. I I completely agree, Michael. I we're gonna be really like annoying here and try and get one question more each. So you can go as fast <laughs> as you want. Thirty seconds. Oh, I, I, I I don't mind as long as you. Uh, 
in a global pandemic, Michael, and look, I mean, we said off air there, a lot of countries still haven't got a sort of that yet. The NFL got through the season, and we have somehow managed to strangle two games uh, for in for obviously in London this year. We got the Falcons against the Jets, and we got the Dolphins against the Jaguars or London Jaguars. Um, just your thoughts on that. There, were you skeptical at the start of all these London games? Are you amazed or? What's your thoughts on, on the growth of the game internationally? Because it has it's, it's crazy to even think of where it was five years ago tonight. Well, you're going to be shocked, but I have some opinions. So uh, <laughs> I covered the first London game. Uh, I, was, I was new at Yahoo, and it was Giants-Dolphins uh, in 2007 at Wembley. And uh, they sent me over. And, I mean, I could do a whole podcast on that experience. I, among other highlights, uh, I went to a... Reading Newcastle United game in Reading. Uh, they were up at the time and uh, they had some Americans. Michael Owen played for Newcastle. I mean, it was that was cool. But uh, I met Jeff Darlington, who's now, unfortunately for me, really one of my best friends and uh, a, a great journalist at ESPN. Uh, but more important, just really a demented, troubled human who. I have been afflicted with having to spend a lot of time with. So that happened. Um, my best friend since growing up who uh, works ramp service for United Airlines and thus has flown free his whole life because his dad also did. Uh, he flew first class out there. I did not, but he did. And so he was with me. Um, we, I mean, we had so much fun and yeah, the game wasn't a great game, although it did turn out that um, the Giants did win the Super Bowl that year. So um, they didn't look super in that game. But so uh, anyway, I thought, like, what a great thing. And there was also a big conference they had in conjunction with it. And a lot of heavy hitters, including Commissioner Goodell, were there. And I did a big story about, you know, the NFL and and expanding into global markets and how important it was. And that was around the first time that you started to hear, well, maybe they played the Super Bowl in London. And oh man, the pearl clutching that followed that. Yeah, it's an American game. You can't. There was a lot of blowback. Well, I kind of had a different opinion. I mean, selfishly, I was like, yeah, um, can we do that now? And my point was like, let's see, Jacksonville, London. Let's see, we have a we have a choice. You know, one has a few boats docked and a beach and a Leonard Skinner bar and like uh I guess Tim Tebow uh the other is one of the greatest cities ever in the history of the planet so yeah I'd rather have the Super Bowl in London let's do that and then you know the only issue I could see was the time and okay you're gonna have to start it really late at night and we've seen that with Champions League games I think and other things but they were like you're going to have to start it so late. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm old. So I, I'm the same age as the Super Bowl. So I come from the era when, like, on the West Coast, we'd watch the Super Bowl at 2.20, 3.20 kickoff, and it was fine. It's Super Sunday. You know, you don't have to drink as long before the game started, at least back then. So, I, I, I mean, yes, do that. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean, you know, oh, we're losing something. Like, whatever, man. Like, it's – it's cool. It'll help grow the game. We'll have a great time. I think you'll get a first class event. And, um, you know, it, it's, I just, you know, I don't see the negative. 
Michael, I, I'm interested in, in, and I know I've, I've read a bit about you talking about this, but I think it'd be really interesting for our viewers, the difference are the, and between writing and television. And I probably have an ulterior motive because I know that this involves a story of Super Bowl 33 and John Elway in a balcony. <laughs> well, um, you know, I am a writer. I never really wanted to be a TV person, not because I didn't want to be. I just, you know, I was a, I was a sports writer and I like writing uh, and I thought I was pretty good at it and I like reporting and that was cool. And I got to work for, you know, my dream job for 13 and a half years and left on my own. I mean, I never thought any of that would, would happen at Sports Illustrated. So, you know, and I worked with Peter King and Dr. Z, who's a living legend, and Rick Tellender. I mean, I, I, I was, you know, really, really felt fortunate. But, um, you know, I did hit a point in 2013 where, when I was talking at NFL Network, where, you know, I mean, getting outside of my comfort zone and a nice kick in the butt felt really exciting. And, and I also know how things are changing, and there's a lot of power in visual, uh, you know, media. And I, I'm, I mean, I, I'm not gonna be honest. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like uh, writing is really, really, really hard, and getting harder as I get older and focus and attention span. I still do it. I just, you know, it just I just bleed all over the place even more than I used to. So um, I like having the juxtaposition between the two. And um, yeah, you mentioned Super Bowl Thirty Three. So um, you know, I covered Super Bowl. I covered I think thirteen consecutive Super Bowl game stories for SI. Uh, which I believe remains the record, uh, th consecutive at least. But, uh, you know, um, I did write the game story when the Broncos upset the Packers in Super Bowl 32 and, you know, had great access to Mike Shanahan and John Elway. And uh, actually, believe it or not, Mike Shanahan stuck me in his uh, hotel suite after the Friday practice for our time together uh, leading in and actually said, I'm going to take a shower and made me wait an hour, but put me in a room with his son, Kyle, who I think was 15 at the time, maybe 16. And I sat there for an hour with Kyle, uh, you know, and we didn't really talk football. It was a lot of me going like, dude, what's high school like? What's it like being Mike Shanahan's son in high school in Colorado? That's gotta be cool. How are the girls? I mean, it was just, it was hilarious. But um, anyway, what a story for John Elway, who had, you know, he did have the unfortunate um, experience of playing for the second most prestigious uh, San Francisco Bay Area academic institution. Uh, and that's, you know, we all make mistakes in life. Um, <laughs> he, I did happen to attend as a high school senior against all odds, his last college game, which uh, you may have heard of, it featured five laterals through the Stanford band. It was pretty much one of the greatest moments that's ever happened on earth. And unless you are John, in which case it sucked. And um, and so listen, I, I was so happy to see John win that game and he had the helicopter twirl. So then the next year they come back and they're getting ready to play the Falcons and um, crazy storylines because Dan Reeves his former coach who had beef with both John and Mike Shanahan is now coaching against them. Uh, you had the crazy Eugene Robinson uh, going out for some milk on uh, the night before the Super Bowl and going to Biscayne Boulevard and getting arrested uh, and spending the night before his Super Bowl in jail while arrested for 
uh, solicitation of prostitution. Um, and then you had the game and the game was crazy because um, as I think Tom Nalen, it was one of the Bronco linemen told me afterwards, he said, I've been playing a long time and I've never, ever seen another team dare John to beat them. Well, he beat them. You know, they were they were loading the box for Terrell Davis, which is understandable. They left uh, the secondary exposed and John Elway did what he has done many times before and looked like one of the greatest people ever to play the game and was the MVP. And now he's won two in a row and he's the MVP. It's a great walk-off. You never know because he didn't announce it. So he's the last guy to leave. I, I get on the, I think got in a car with him and uh, Janet, his wife at the time. And, uh, now we're back in Fort Lauderdale in his hotel room, and he goes, hey, come on. And we're up, up in his room, and he's got a balcony, and he hands me a beer. We've each got a beer. He's smoking a Cohiba or some Cuban cigar, or well, maybe it wasn't, because it probably wasn't legal at the time. But, you know, whatever. He's smoking a cigar, and uh, a lot of things have become legal since then, by the way. But hopefully Cuban cigars will, too, now that we have... Uh, same leadership in our country but anyway uh so he's got the cigar he's got the beer rain's coming down we're out there on the balcony titanic had just came out it was like a oh, i'm the king of the world it was unbelievable and you know i'm just in that moment and i did this with rodman sometimes too because rodman would draw attention to it usually oh it's never gonna get any better than this bro but i you know as i went through the whirlwind and got amazing access and got to work, you know, for the magazine I grew up dreaming about working for. It was a lot of it was a blur, but there were moments where even I was like, have, you know, able to be like, I think this is pretty like unreal what's going on and surreal. So that was one of those where I'm like, yeah, I'm out on the balcony with John Elway. It's raining. We've got beer and cigar. He's Super Bowl MVP. This probably is his last game. And, and I'm going to stay up all night and drink a lot of caffeine and write the hell out of it. And uh, he's going to keep drinking. So um, that was great. And and I did mention this, uh, I think, uh, on my podcast. But the um, coming out of college, uh, you know, in college at the Daily Californian, you know, we happen to have an incredible staff who went on to many of whom went on to much bigger things than uh, that I did, including Mike Fleiss, one of my best friends, is the creator of The Bachelor, who's done uh, okay for himself. But you know, we used to read everyone when we were in college and be like, "This guy's amazing." And you know, Dr. Z was a legend. Well, a little bit after college, the 49ers beat the Broncos in Super Bowl 24. Joe Montana had, you know, five touchdown record setting performance, maybe it's, you know, one of his greatest games. And afterwards we're reading the SI story on Wednesday and F and Dr. Z is up in Montana's room watching the game with him while the victory party is going on down below. But Joe's not at the victory party. He's sitting there watching film with Dr. Z. And we're like, how, how, I know it's sports illustrated, but how, how that's never going to happen. Well, that was, you know, that was only, nine years later and I'm out there on the balcony with John and I'm like I think I did it I don't know how but I'll take it and Michael we touched on earlier on the show in terms of the entertainment you bring on NFL Network is there one any one particular story during your time in NFL Network that stands out above the rest any any moments that 
any free agency sign or any particular star that we wouldn't be aware of that just always kind of in the back of your head? Well, first of all, I just want to substantiate that I have clearly been better than Scott Hansen on this podcast because I know you guys had him recently and he is a very talented guy. Um, big Tebow fan, by the way, but I, I just, <laughs> there's no way that I did not tear Scott Hansen up, you know, and, and chew him up and spit him out. It would be like, you know, I don't know, like uh, Deep Purple coming on stage and then you too follow. Like I'm I'm you too in this equation to keep it Irish. And um, and so, yeah, is there one story in NFL Network? That's a great question. Um, you know, it, it is interesting because when I went there, um, I, I mean, let's just say that I was probably the roughest person in a very personal way toward NFL owners during my time before that, I used to do annual owner rankings on both SI.com and Yahoo that were, you know, pretty, pretty uh, incisive. And so the fact that they then hired me, combined with the fact that journalism has changed, I never thought I'd be working for an entity I cover, certainly. So it was always going to be a little, uh, a little bizarre for me working there. And, um, you know, pretty early on, we confronted the Ray Rice um, scandal and and I was on the air a ton during that time as I was with the deflated balls and other things. But um, during that time, I was on the air because I just, you know, our hosts could only say so much and our former players, I, I think, you know, they were getting put in uncomfortable positions and it was just, they, they kept turning to me, but, um, you know, there was a scandal involving the company I now worked for and in the building where that company is headquarters with bosses tangibly freaking out before your eyes. I was then trying to talk about it on the air and, you know, I got, I got a lot of blowback and it was interesting. I, you know, uh, a very prominent NFL head coach texted me one night and was like, Hey, where's the, it's paraphrasing where's the badass journalist I used to know who calls it like he sees it I was like whoa that's and then I had former players who kind of were like dude you're like you're, you're sounding like a company man and I know I wasn't but uh, it was just a weird thing I was like thinking you know you guys go work for Procter and Gamble and when there's a scandal that threatens in people's minds the existence of the company go on Procter and Gamble network and broadcast with everyone hovering around but so it took me a couple of days but then I, I feel like I did find my footing and uh, I think on game day morning so maybe day three in um, and they had, by the way they had already appointed Robert Mueller of all things to issue a special report on that um, no Bill Barr to uh, announce it prematurely but it was in fact Robert Mueller and uh, I just remember going on game day morning and just going whatever I'm just gonna say what it is and I was like let's face it this is an absolutely embarrassing moment for our league and I just let everybody happen and I was like and by the way don't hit women so whatever I've just always tried to do it like I always did I'm a journalist if you know if you ever see them yanking me off the air forcibly then I guess I wasn't supposed to work at NFL Network but we're eight years in and I'm having a blast and uh by the way I did do um I did do a pretty cool story um on Aaron Rodgers uh for our website uh I want to say 
maybe about 2016 or so. And, uh, you know, I think if people Google that and go back and read that, it's long, uh, but it'll give you, you know, an idea into his mindset and in general, and uh, probably be interesting. I'll probably go back and read it at some point because of course I love reading my own stuff, but I mean, I'll probably go skim it and just see because it'd be interesting to read it now. We will try and even put it as a link underwards as well. Michael, I feel like we could talk to you for 15, 20 hours uh, in, a, in a very good way. This has been fantastic. You're, you're welcome on any time. And uh, thanks a million for your time. Man. Thank you so much. And hopefully we will uh, we'll do something in person, either at a Wembley game or amazingly in your country or in mine. Uh, I know that uh, Jeff Darlington and Carissa Thompson and I We'll be trying to resume our Super Bowl party, which obviously didn't happen last year, but this will be about number six or seven. It's in my hometown, Los Angeles. Haven't lived there since high school, but, uh, you know, I know it well. And uh, I'm sure if you guys are in town, we'll want you at that party. That sounds fantastic. Michael, thanks a million, man. Thank you.